So I think it's so important that we're always thinking about what are the business outcomes, and that's going to help us all have one voice and one shared goal and outcome and something that's much easier to track and report on. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenau. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the B2BMX podcast. This is our last episode of 2022, and we decided to go out with a bang and give you a little year in review before we wrap up the year. Yeah, it has been a whirlwind of a year here at DGR. We were finally able to go back to Scottsdale for the B2B Marketing Exchange this past February, and we hosted a ton of webinars and a virtual B2BMX event, and that was just in the first six months. Then we went back to Boston for the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange, all while working diligently to keep our audience up to speed on the latest and greatest in B2B marketing and sales via our editorial offerings. And let's not forget this baby right here, our podcast that kept us pretty busy too. All of our work this year brought a lot of learnings, so that's why we decided to lay it all out on today's episode. So keep listening as we travel back to our B2B MX and B2B SMX 2022 events with clips from our favorite sessions covering some of the key trends from this year. Kelly, you ready? Yes, let's do it. So one major thing that has been a constant in our conversations with B2B practitioners and marketing experts is that customer obsession should be in everything. The customer has to be at the forefront of all strategies, and it has never been more important. That's right. And according to Forrester, those who are customer obsessed have more than 2x revenue growth rate, profitability rate, customer retention growth rate, and employee engagement growth rate. So long story short, putting the customer at the forefront is winning. Just listen to these stats. 35% say improving customer experience is a top priority, but less than 20% are doing anything about it. And furthermore, 77% of revenue comes from existing customers, and only 42% of marketers actually have demand programs across the customer lifecycle. So yeah, we can do more here. So in order to improve the customer experience, we have to rethink the way we look at the traditional demand waterfall. Forrester actually introduced a new waterfall, which is oriented around opportunities within buying groups. And we were lucky enough to have Amy Hawthorne, principal analyst at Forrester, drop a major bomb this year regarding the death of the lead. And we'll let her elaborate on this potentially controversial take in our first clip. In the new waterfall, we're tracking not only candidates would be that acquisition number, but also current customers. Again, if we say 77% of our revenue, comes from current customers, we have to factor that into not only our program planning, but also how we're measuring our contribution. So first line is target accounts. Important, especially for all of you that are ABM marketers or doing any sort of ABM. More important though, than those target accounts are those opportunities inside of those accounts. Most of us can sell multiple solutions into an account, sometimes to the same group, sometimes to other groups. So how do we start to identify what are those opportunities that we have inside, especially our existing customers, and what are the additional opportunities we can go get? Next is detected. There's been an explosion of ABM and intent technology that are giving us insights and signals outside of our systems. So how are we leveraging some of those signals? Engaged, they've engaged in our programs. So this might have been the top of that 
a more colorful waterfall before. Prioritized are those that are going to sales or the BDRs, and then qualified and then through pipeline. The big things to take away here are there's no mention of leads. There's no mention of leads. You'll probably hear it multiple times today. I'll say it multiple times. We believe the MQL is dead. Leads don't buy. They're a signal that there could be a buying cycle going on in that organization. So here, we're moving away from the lead and going a step down from the account and looking at those opportunities inside of those accounts. Okay, so why is the lead not working? Our research shows that less than 1% of leads make it from the top all the way to the bottom. That means as demand marketers, we're getting it wrong 99% of the time. 99% of the time. There's gotta be a better way to do it. Also interesting, there's typically less than one contact on average, one to less than one attached to an opportunity. So if we aren't actually putting those contacts on an opportunity, we, I see people shaking their head, we get no marketing attribution. We also don't know who those, um, that group are the individuals that are making decisions for each solution. So if we've got 40 people attached at the account level, no one on an opportunity, how do we know who and what solutions to market to and when? So interesting there, not surprising that we have to find a better way and move away from the lead. Moving away from the lead seems like a daunting task, but with this new model, B2B organizations can drive new pipeline and revenue opportunities in current accounts, turn buyers into advocates, and fuel demand generation activities like attracting net new buyers' attention and accelerating deal closing. With buying groups as the new norm, sales and marketing functions need to work even more closely to understand and engage with all decision makers involved in making purchases. That's right. However, building trusted relationships with prospects and customers is just as critical as building relationships and aligning within internal organizations. This is important whether you're working in a traditional demand generation model, blending demand gen with ABM, or just going all in on ABM. And like Claude said, sales and marketing functions must work really closely to help buyers along their journey. And speaking of ABM, it has become the new normal for B2B organizations and continues to exceed expectations. In fact, our 2022 ABM benchmark survey revealed that 59% of experienced practitioners indicated their ABM programs are meeting or greatly exceeding their expectations, while only 45% of novices could say the same. There's a definite correlation between mature ABM programs and more success. Specifically, the survey found that experienced practitioners outpaced novices in three categories, aligned sales and marketing teams, faster sales cycles, and stronger, more trustworthy relationships with accounts. And Claude, let's expand on that special T word here a little bit more, trust. Okay, okay, twist my arm. ABM allows for stronger, more trustworthy relationships with accounts. And building trusted relationships is actually in the DNA of the culture, technology, and account-based marketing strategy at Salesforce. It's foundational in executing a next-level game plan with ABMers as respected members of the account team and in starting positions during customer discussions. Engaging in rich customer dialogue when addressing customer business challenges truly demonstrates ABM as part of an impactful solution and value proposition at Salesforce. 
So we actually had Juliet Randall, VP of Global Account-Based Marketing Strategy at Salesforce, take our B2B MX stage earlier this year to share her top five lessons on how to elevate your ABM game and solidify trust as a foundational element of your ABM programs. And guess what? It starts with working together with sales. Let's let Juliet take it away to elaborate and share some unique takeaways from one of my favorite shows this year, Ted Lasso, and even other sports teams. I'm sure many of you have been in a lot of brainstorming sessions uh, throughout your career. And you know, hopefully those sessions have always kind of started with the ground rules, which are there, is, there are no bad ideas, everyone should come with an open mind, and that's really the way that you get the innovative thinking going. Um, you've probably also been in some sessions where despite having those guidelines or rules, um, there are, is one person or a few people that will shoot down ideas because it's not possible, we don't have the capability, the technology isn't there. And so as, as you as marketers are, are getting to that seat at the table with the, with the account team, you've got your account, um, your account selected, you're in the planning session with sales. Um, it's really, you know, how do you, how do you earn that trust and how do you kick things off as a team? So I'm going to start with the TN trust and uh, talk a bit about teaming because this is really, you know, if you think about how many seconds you have to make a first impression, uh, especially for those marketers that are new to an account. And we find that those accounts that have been with our program uh, for, you know, a, a prior year or two or have experience working with our team, it's an entirely different way to kick off the year than it is with an account that maybe uh, has not done ABM in the past. And there's an onboarding process that goes with that. And so uh, as, as we think about the fact that, you know, you've probably all heard there's no I in team, um, I really, um, you know, was thinking about some of the analogies with Ted Lasso in, in sports, uh, even beyond soccer. And uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of making the extra pass, but it was something that um, kind of stuck with me, especially um, there's a character in Ted Lasso, Jamie uh, Tart, who is by far the most talented individual player on the team. Um, and it's very similar in many regards to Michael Jordan in basketball. And when COVID was first starting, I don't know if any of you watched uh, The Last Dance, it was a multi-part series on ESPN. I found it fascinating. Love Michael Jordan uh, as a player, learned a lot about him. But one of the things that really um, came across not only in The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and also with Jamie Tart. Uh, in Ted Lasso is, despite being the greatest individual player uh, on the team, you know, and you know, their competitive spirit was such that they always wanted to make the last shot, the winning shot. And you know, I think due to the fact that Phil Jackson was an amazing coach for the Bulls, Ted Lasso is, is a pretty awesome coach in soccer, um, both of them were really able to connect with their star player. And whether that's a marketer, or it's a sales leader or an, uh, an account executive, it's really breaking through to build that trust. And, and what really came out of some of the coaching that um, Jamie and, and Michael both got from their coaches is you've got to surrender the me for the we. And got them to really think about not making, you know, by not making that extra pass, by always taking the winning shot, not trusting the person on your team to make the shot, it really came down to trust. And the question that was really posed to them is, you know, especially with Michael, because there was a little bit more of the story there, is, you know, what message is that sending 
to your teammates when you always feel like you have to make the extra shot. And so, you know, just one example is you're thinking about partnering with sales, building that trust, and as you're creating the plans, it's, you know, kind of checking yourself and, and really, um, even if, if you need to, validating the kind of relationship that you have with sales and that you have that common foundation that's really gonna set you up for success um, throughout your programs. I loved this session from Juliet and how it related ABM to the beloved Ted Lasso show. And while we're on the topic of ABM and aligning teams, the past year brought a new acronym to the spotlight, ABX, or account-based experience. Account-based experience is poised as the next evolution of account-based marketing, and it takes the entire customer journey into consideration. In fact, in a recent DGR report on ABX, Chris Burke of The Marketing Practice stated that we are just scratching the surface as an industry of what's possible when it comes to ABX. It is an evolution, not a revolution. I always love a new B2B acronym. So ABM focuses on identifying and engaging valuable accounts, while ABX uses data and insights to identify when and how to engage with accounts and what to say to them. But it's important to note that ABX isn't replacing ABM. Marketers should be prioritizing ABX now more than ever. No economic climate can stop revenue growth when ABX is steering ship because your demand is driven by brand and advocacy. And ABX powers all three. So this all-star panel from B2B SMX came together to share how and why ABX creates the flywheel to elevate your go-to-market strategy and break down silos across teams. I think this next clip sums it up nicely. So I think it's so important that we're always thinking about what are the business outcomes and that's going to help us all have one voice and one shared goal and outcome and something that's much easier to track and report on. Yeah, and, and you know, to just kind of talk through that, uh, you know, when it comes to implementing an ABM strategy you're talking through, it's like always focus on, you know, your collaboration across the organization, but do we really think about the fact that the marketing team can be really siloed? Um, and so, you know, focusing on collaboration with your with your organization. Um, I'm a ride or die sales enablement person. And then, you know, how can you bring your own marketing team together? And when you bring in ABM, you bring in something like an integrated campaign. So let's put ABM campaigns over here for a second and let's think about, all right, so normally you've got your events team running an event, they do the promo for the event, they've got their emails, they've got their ads, then you've got your content team over there thinking about their content and, you know, working with, you know, creating that content, like what are they pushing out? Demand gens, you know, pushing display ads, are they doing content syndication? Webinars, what is the theme? What is the message of the webinar? There's a lot going on. Um, and are you all talking to each other about it? Mm -hmm. Now, let's bring in an integrated campaign example. Um, now, you, you, you create a seamless experience from start to finish. You work with uh, creating an ABM campaign. Hey, product marketing, what's our message? What's going on in the market? What do we need to know? Content, what do we have to support this message and how can we build out a campaign? Hey, events. Do we have an event that we can roll into this campaign? Okay, webinar, is there a topic that we want to bring into this? Now we have all these different touch points and we can run all of this together in collaboration with each other. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to, to look at marketing as 
as this collective function, right? And when you are trying to focus on the right accounts at the right time with the right message, how are you intersecting with your partner marketing team to figure out what their initiatives are, what accounts they're already looking at? Are they looking at the same accounts that we're looking at? How do we get tighter just as a team um, to, to really, again, drive the message home and build the pipeline, drive revenue? And I think another huge piece, not only from um, you know, aligning teams, breaking down those silos, is, um, is optimizing the funnel. I also want to take this time to talk about data. Data makes the marketing world go round, but measuring what's working can be a slippery slope, especially when it comes to ABX and combining all of the data and intelligence the entire organization is gathering. In fact, I'm going to throw it back over to that same panel to share a little more information on that. So how do you get tighter on your attribution? <laughs> um, spreadsheets, analytics, uh, I mean, we're in it all the time. Uh, you know, a, a few things to do is, is, as we kind of, you know, Karina and I touched on before, uh, what is the shared goal? What are you focused on? Be focused there, that's what's important. Um, second is, Clean your data. <laughs> um, you know, your systems are only, your systems and tech is only as good as your data. And I think that we all probably have had this. And I think that data is the love-hate for all of us. You know, it, it, everywhere you go, you're like, oh, the data is so, you know, messy. And how do I, how do I clean it? How do I fix it? I don't think anyone actually has. No, I don't <laughs> actually <laughs> think it exists. Maybe new market. Um, no, but. <laughs> But in all seriousness, um, you know, that needs to be a priority. It needs to be a focus. And, you know, so focus on having the clean data and having systems and processes that work. And then visualize that data. Um, look at it. Um, you know, the question is, is, is how often are you looking at the data? Are you obsessed with the numbers? Do you know your numbers from last week? And if you don't, know them. We can't just look quarterly at our successes and think, all right, yeah, well, we hit, you know, we hit, we didn't hit. It's, what did we do last week? What did we do the week before? How did the month look previously? Are there patterns? Are there, you know, ebbs and flows? Like, what can we learn from this? And how can we change, improve, or remove what's not working? So that's that. I mean, that's the business of marketing. Yeah. Right? And while we're on the topic of data, intent data is still all the rage, but don't just take our word for it. Research shows that 94% of marketers believe that using data to track buyer intent gives them a competitive advantage. And 67% said they planned on allocating more budget to their intent data strategies throughout 2022. Intent data provides signals that someone may have intent to interact with a brand based on their actions while researching a solution. It allows marketing and sales to have better conversations, share more relevant content, and connect with prospects on a deeper level. While there are a bunch of awesome intent data providers out there, including G2, Bombora, ZoomInfo, Sixth Sense, and so much more, this next clip spotlights how Stacy Gelata of Software AG uses intent insights from TechTarget to map and plan some of her strategy. It's very difficult to know where somebody is as part of their buyer's journey. And you have to be delivering the right content at the right time in the right channel. Easy, right? Well, what Software AG does is, <laughs> maybe this is a, 
a little trick, but I saw all of you were very familiar with Tech Target, so I'm hoping you're seeing uh, some of the benefits in your own companies. But we use Tech Target to help us with a lot of this. And how do we do that? Well, we're using a lot of what Tech Target knows about our buyer to help us inform how we're identifying where in the buyer's journey somebody is, what type of content that they want to consume, and where they want to consume that content. And we're doing that with the Tech Target Priority Engine as the basis of a lot of our work. So we have kind of four motions that we use Tech Target Priority Engine for. One, building target account lists. So we did a ton of work back in 2021 on our ICPs. What does our ideal customer look like? And we've taken all of the great, and, and if anyone's not familiar with Priority Engine, it's an incredible platform that you can purchase from Tech Target that really gives you a lot of insight into buyer behavior, not only across the Tech Target network but, and their extended spoke network, but also maps that back to how people are engaging with you in two ways. One, on your own website, and two, in the advertising and content and display and brand campaigns that you may be running on Tech Target. So now you have this place that's marrying all of this data together and showing you who the active buyers are that are looking for solutions that your company sells. So Tech Target helps us build those target account lists. We take you know, a list of accounts that matches our ICPs and we say, okay, well that's great. There's 30,000 accounts in the whole wide world now. But what's invaluable here is that we can then match that against the data that Tech Target knows, right? And Tech Target goes, okay, well, this looks good. But here's the accounts that look like they're in an active buyer cycle. These are the people that are actively researching across the Tech Target network for solutions that you are trying to sell. And not only are those the accounts, but here's the people that are doing it. And uh, here's all the other things that they're looking at. And here's how many people at that organization are doing it too. Whoa, that's a ton more information than what I had on, oh, they just matched my ICP. So that helps inform my target account lists. I've seen and heard so many awesome use cases around intent data, and that was just a small piece of it. However, I think marketers are still just scratching the surface of what intent can do for their businesses and strategies, and I look forward to seeing how it all evolves in the new year. Same here. Now, let's move on to my and Kelly's favorite topic, content. And we've got a few clips for you that truly reiterate why content is and always will be king. That's right, Claude. So we know that digital channels are growing more crowded each day and breaking through that noise requires an adept content strategy carefully crafted with buyer needs and preferences in mind. So for modern marketers, there's definitely a theme of proactivity and getting ahead of buyers, which naturally translates into the need for stronger partnerships between sales and marketing. And on that topic, we have good news and bad news. The good news is that research found that sales and marketing alignment is only the third biggest area where marketers struggle, and it previously held number one spot for several years, so that's a significant drop. However, just because it fell doesn't mean that marketers have nailed it, because more than one-third still struggle with aligning sales and marketing, 
which spells trouble in the era of buyers who want seamless, easy communication and personalized experiences. And to that end, Pam Didner took the B2B MX stage and encouraged marketers to think like salespeople in order to get in their heads and get ahead of their needs. Let's toss things over to Pam to talk about how to get strategic and personal with sales-oriented content. The salespeople tend to think one thing at a time. I need this. I need this now. But you need to think about it. Say, hey, why do they need this now? Can I proactively think what they need before and also what they need after? Does that make sense? All of a sudden, you are talking about sequencing. If they are doing some sort of email to reach out to somebody, they got to be something they did before. They got to be something they will do after. Does that make sense? So we are talking about, can we look at it like in the sequence? All right, this is an example I share with um, when I did a private session for a customer, uh, which is Sunstar. And they launched this product called Gum Salt Pick. Does anybody have this? I do. I use them too. Great. And um, so when they launched this product, I told them, I said, if you launch this product, or if you launch the next generation of it, and uh, you are going to have the sales probably going to do some sort of outreach because they launch a product. You know, whenever we launch a product, we want sales was like, okay, we are launching a product. We need to talk to our customer. We need to get the words out. I get it, right? So how do we actually set that up proactively for our salespeople? So what should the series of a sales outreach look like? Okay. This is another template I'm going to share with you. Okay, again, it's a template. And this is something that you can do and kind of fill in the blanks. I come to realize that the way I communicate with a lot of my customers is I set something up, the only thing they need to do is fill in the blanks. Okay, and make it very logical for them so they understand. So I said, okay, now what does the sales communication stage look like? Okay, it's really about launch the soft picks, right? And I think through, I was like, okay, what should I do? There's probably something that salespeople want to say in advance. There's probably something that salespeople want to say in the date of launch. There's probably something that, that salespeople want to send after. So I said, hey, maybe there's a teaser email they want to send out. Again, it's not random. It's targeted to existing account and to make announcement for the next generation of products. So this is not random. This is very strategic and purposeful. Then once you do that, there's probably a customized email that salespeople want to send out at the date of launch. Then once they send out, maybe they want to follow with some sort of phone call. Interesting enough, when you start getting these three things, three steps set up, salespeople are saying, I get it. I know what to do. I can arrange the fourth one, which is another phone call. Does that make sense? All of a sudden you say, this is what I'm going to do for you so you don't have to come to me every single time. I need this piece of content. Can you find it for me? But you set up in a way that you proactively address their needs. Hey, marketers. You've heard us talking all about it, and now it's finally happening. The B2B Marketing Exchange is coming back to Scottsdale in 2023, and we want to see you there in person. 
If you're a fan of the B2B conversations we share on the B2BMX podcast, this event is literally made for you. Get a front row seat at sessions that will challenge everything you know about marketing, sales, ABM, go-to-market strategy, and so much more. Plus, you'll get a chance to mingle and network with the best of the best in B2B. As a B2B MX podcast listener, you'll get 25% off your ticket by using the code PODCAST25 at registration. Check out the show notes for more information or head to b2bmarketing.exchange to register now. Obviously, creating such a comprehensive portfolio results in an abundance of content, especially as research has shown that 55% of buyers said they now rely more on content to research and make purchasing decisions than they did a year ago. And they expect tailored content across all stages of the buyer's journey. While the obvious solution is uploading all these content pieces to a shared cloud drive, it's not enough just to upload them and hope people could find them. Marketers need to tag their content to help sales more easily find it. So in his B2B SMX session, Uberflip's chief evangelist, Randy Frisch, discussed the importance of creating a centralized content hub and tagging the content accordingly. So with that, we're going to go ahead and roll the next clip. We're selling to a collection of buyers. And this is interesting data that came from them that shows the more buyers at the table, the less likely they are to purchase. And that's because I believe we focus too much on a champion or a single buyer versus thinking about all the different buyers. So I want us to keep that in mind, which is it's not just which accounts should buy from us, it's which buyers. What are the different people at the table that we need to interact with as we go through this? If you want to go deeper into this, my friends at Demandbase, they helped me with that, you know, some of the thinking around this, around segmentation and how we think about our buyers. The simplest way, though, that I think about this, as I said, is all tagging. So these are very simple ways to think about your buyers. You got two columns, and we'll, we'll break these down a little bit. One is the stage the buyer's at. It could be something as simple as top of, top of funnel through to bottom of funnel. It could be awareness through advocacy. And then you think of your buyer, you've got a lot of different ways that you can segment your buyer at the end of the day, by persona, by role, by title, by account size, by geographical location. These are all important ways that we need to start to think about tags. Now these tags are gonna come in handy. This is the first bucket of tags that I'm showing you. These tags are gonna come in handy as we start to build out our matrix. Okay, let's get to the next bucket, which is the importance of attracting people. I could honestly probably just leave this slide up for the rest and you all be happy because this is so much fun to watch. But, you know, the reality is I only have like seven seconds of your time, so we're going to make use of it. Just as we try and do with channels, we're trying to grab people. We're trying to make it personal at this stage. And when we do that, we have a lot of success. It's a great example, again, of demand base doing so. There's a customer that we get to work with too called Hexagon. Jody Lebo's fantastic there. And you can see they get a way higher click-through rate when we add that personalization into the ad that we put out. As much as I love demand base, I love all my partners. So Rollworks, they're great too, Sixth Sense. Everyone can do this. We all know how to do this now. We can add this element of personalization into everything that we do. We can even do this with things like direct mail. People at ReachDesk do cool things here too, right? They can throw your name on to a bottle of wine. How cool is that when you get a promotion? So we know how to personalize at this level though. I think a lot of us have started to buy into this piece already. Now, the key then is to start to think about what content that we have, what execution destinations we have, and how do we have to think about where people are coming from. So our next set of thinking about tags 
is really thinking about what is the right channel for this content. And the simplest way to think about it, there's certain content that's going to be great to click off a tweet versus other great content that's better off an email, right? We don't want a long ebook to come off of a tweet that someone may be looking on their mobile device from, right? So we've got to think about where someone's coming from as we go through. All right, so if you're thinking, but Kelly and Claude, it's a huge waste just to make content that lives on a metaphorical shelf until it's needed. We're right there with you. So that brings us to content syndication and repurposing. Again, this requires thinking about the buyer's journey as a whole and determining what pieces of content will resonate the best across each stage. Big, big fan of content repurposing here. It is so important because it allows you to take something that you've proven is engaging in one format and serve the needs of people that like other formats, whether it's video or audio, to engage in that same thought leadership topic. You're making an investment in content that has longevity and the legs to go far, which is especially worthwhile as an impending recession looms. In fact, according to a McKinsey survey, 65% of enterprise B2B buyers and 63% of SMB business buyers say that digital interactions with vendors are now more important than traditional interactions. And additional DGR research found that buyers are not only leaning even harder on content to educate themselves, but they are also demanding and expecting richer content experiences from the brands they are engaging with. So again, planning is the name of the game here. In this next clip, you'll actually hear a familiar voice. Our very own Claudia moderated this panel discussion at the B2B Marketing Exchange, where she was joined by Dade Systems' Stephanie LaRue, Identiv's Lee Dow, and Casted's Lindsay Chepkema. The most strategic thing you can do is take a step back before overwhelming yourself and assess all of the content you already have and see if you realize the full potential of every single piece. Um, I'm on a marketing team of two, and so it is imperative for us that we make each piece work as hard as possible that we can for us, just like I was saying earlier. Um, that way, the content is helping the prospects navigate their way through the buyer journey on its own, and then when they're ready to talk, when they want to pick up our phone call, they want to message us on Drift, we're there and we're ready, and they already are armed with the information we've been serving them. Um, and so when it comes to leveraging, you know, a big study or a really meaty white paper, um, it is getting as creative as thinking about the different steps of the buyer journey and the different types of content that people would want to consume. That way you can meet them where they are. So if someone is in the early stages and they're looking to be educated um, and they have a lot of time on their hands, maybe they do want to read through that really long white paper. But if they're on the go, maybe pulling out that one stat and putting it in a LinkedIn post is just what you need to get their uh, thoughts really turning to get them to move on through you know, the process of getting closer to securing that lead. Um, and I will say, I know, I know that video is growing in popularity and it is definitely valuable, but when it comes to that written content, I would not knock it. So if you want to call video content king, I will say that written content is definitely queen and should not be forgotten. <laughs> um, you know, making sure uh, that our content pieces are leaning into the long tail keywords. So when people are researching um, our industry, aren't aware that AR automation is a possibility or maybe that it's completely different than it was four years ago. 
Um, that is so important for us so we can meet them where they are, whether it's in a Google search, on LinkedIn, um, or whether they're further in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, you have to first know what your audience even wants to digest. Maybe they don't want to listen to a podcast. Maybe they don't want to watch a video and they prefer that, you know, longer piece or a blog or something like that. So it's definitely important to understand your audience first. So uh, Lee, beyond, you know, going beyond video and, and audio, obviously we are all convinced that it's um, it's working and written is still always going to be around. I mean, I'm, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, obviously. I, I need my job. I love you, girl. <laughs> So um, how do you how do you prioritize uh, budgets for, for content and, and what other formats work, work well for, for you guys? So we do a really, I think, we try to really balance. That, that campaign actually is a great example. We, we spent um, probably about between the series of nine and nine, probably somewhere around 20,000 on the production. Um, and we produced it in a way that uh, we did it with a green screen so we could always just keep changing whatever's behind it if we wanted to, uh, to keep it fresh, because um, you know Tom Cruise never goes out of style. Um, but, uh, but we balanced it with written content, white papers, you know, data sheets, um, traditional, more traditional advertising in the print publications that were relevant to that industry, um, in the um, digital advertising that was relevant to that industry. Uh, we did case studies, testimonials, and for us, the things that convert the highest, um, video uh, gives us more brand awareness and it gives us more, um, you know, catches, catches the eyeballs and gets them in the door, but it's not the thing that converts them, at least not this campaign. This campaign, it was really more geared towards people who already knew us and knew the industry, but when it's people who don't know us and we need those long tail keywords and stuff like that, we balance it with white papers and case studies and testimonials. And if we don't have permission, like there are some departments that we do business with that don't like us talking about them um, in public, uh, we, um, we try to do things like deployment stories. So if we can't do a case study, then we tell the story like a financial institution, you know, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so we do that and we just tell the deployment story wherever we can because that's really what people want. They want those use case scenarios, right? They want the proof points. And while we're on the topic of optimizing budgets and repurposing content, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the power and growth of user-generated content, which eases budgets by relying on brand advocates who add an additional human touch to marketing campaigns. And capturing the voice of your customers is especially pertinent in a world where buyers don't want sales outreach in the traditional quote-unquote cold calling sense. You can share your value prop via email, ads, and social media all you want, but at the end of the day, buyers want proof that your service works, and they want to hear it from someone who experienced the same or similar issues that they're currently facing. In fact, almost one-third of marketers rely on user reviews when they're making their buying decisions. So with that, let's tune in to reseller ratings' Christina Kay to hear about the power of user-generated content. Throughout her session, she discussed the best ways marketers can fold it into their overall content strategy. The first thing to do Lean on your teams and customers. Who here has some customers in mind that, hey, that's my champion, that's my cheerleader? Who has some of those customers in their mind right now? Awesome. Are you talking to them about talking about you? And not in like a, hey, talk about us, just kind of establish that this is what other people are doing for us, maybe you can do it. Are you guys doing that now? Awesome, kind of cool. <laughs> so. 
again, sorry, I didn't advance. <laughs> talk to your team, who are your biggest cheerleaders? What we do is talk to our sales CS team um, to see who really loves us. What are they doing with their product? Is it something really amazing that no one else is doing? That one can help us grow our product and grow with them because we don't want them to outgrow us. We want to grow with them to then enhance the product for everybody else. So create a place for your team that can nominate people. We use um, HubSpot playbooks or you can use like a Google form. If your team fills it out, you can say, hey, does this person know we're going to actually talk to them about this? It's smart to kind of give them the heads up. Customer success is no longer just weekly check-ins. I talk to my like vendors a lot, or we, whatever your cadence is. I shouldn't say weekly all the time. Weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is. <laughs> it's not just that anymore. Maybe. Okay. What you need to do now, establish a monthly calendar that highlights that, those people who are doing UGC for your business. Because I definitely have like FOMO with some of my favorite softwares that I work with. I'm like, hey, I want to be doing that too. Shoot, you know? And now I'm doing that with them. And it's just a way to engage with your customers in a bigger, better way. And you're going to establish those brand champions for you. Have small groups of net new customers, customers that have been there for a long time, and just talk about your product. Maybe you can have a salesperson lead the discussion, but really not talk much, because you want to hear that. You're going to learn so much from that, because with those conversations, one, you can build the uh, mindset of market share again, like they ask you answer. That's going to be one way to establish that. And then also, you can get those people thinking about ways they can use um, content of their own on LinkedIn, social, maybe their own blog on their software about how they work with you guys. And then community-led conversations. I kind of talked about this a little bit ago, but associations have been such a big thing. And I feel like the past couple years because of the pandemic and Slack groups, I have probably like 15, to be honest with you, that I'm like in. And I see so many people like talking about, hey, do you know a CRM that can do this? Hey, like, I really want to do this. And a lot of the times those groups don't allow the quote-unquote sales pitch of someone at that company to be like, hey, I'm going to DM you, like, let's book a demo. That's not cute. That's not classy. You want those brand champions to be responding to that. The notion of user-generated content really ties things back to the beginning of our episode around customer obsession. Companies who are obsessed with their customers benefit from turning those customers into advocates who can then help marketers create more hype around their brands with examples from themselves. With that said, I think that sums up the year pretty nicely. I mean, obviously, if we had to put all the aha moments from the year into one episode, we would be here all week. So if you're itching for more, we've loaded our show notes with some great resources from DGR to help you close out the year with a bang and get you excited for 2023. Yes, this may be our last episode of the year, but we've got a ton of content coming. More events, more webinar series, more podcast episodes in 2023 and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to demandgenreport.com to stay up to speed on the latest news in the industry. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your player of choice so you don't miss any new episodes. And please come see us in person in Scottsdale this coming February for the B2B Marketing Exchange. Our B2BMX podcast listeners get a special discount, which you can find in our show notes. Don't miss out on the best B2B marketing event of the year. 
It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to see everyone in sunny Scottsdale. So with all of that said, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you all so, so much for listening all year round. On behalf of the entire Demand Gen Report and B2B Marketing Exchange team, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and prosperous new year. We'll catch you in 2023. Take care.